This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th. And it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Welcome to another episode of Lead Singer Syndrome. I'm your host, Shane Told. This podcast is all about me talking to other lead singers about what it's like to front a rock and roll band. And today, we have a great episode. My friend Joel Birch of the Amity Affliction joins me. Um, What can I say about them? I mean, I'm sure by now... Pretty much wherever you're listening to this in the world, if you're into metalcore, hardcore, whatever, you know about the Amity Affliction. But it's kind of an interesting story because this band is massive in Australia. They have had now three number one albums in a row, which we talk about a little bit in the podcast. Uh, And now they're starting to pop off uh, other places in the world. They've been doing really well in Europe for a while. Now... They're on a bus tour in the U.S. headlining. So it's really, really great to see everyone coming around and embracing the Amity Affliction, a great band. Before we get into my chat with Joel, I want to remind you guys it's very easy to get in touch. If you've got suggestions for the show, if you want to give me some love, we've got all these different ways of doing it through social media. So please, if you got a Snapchat, I'm on there. It's real Shane Told. Instagram is at Lead Singer Syndrome. Twitter is at Lead Singer Sin, S-Y-N. And if you just want to email me, go ahead. It's Lead Singer Syndrome at gmail.com. Also, Facebook. Facebook's a thing again. Just search for Lead Singer Syndrome. I'm sure it'll pop up. Uh, go on the page. Give us a like. I'm going to be a lot more interactive on there very soon with Facebook. And part of it is we're going to be starting up the VIP club really soon. And I know I've been talking about it for a few weeks now, but it's coming. We're ironing out the details. So make sure, again, you're you're following us on the social media and all that shit so you know exactly what's happening. First of all, i got to give a big shout out to the 2016 Toronto Blue Jays. Yes. Applause. Insert applause. They have swept the Texas Rangers, a team that I cannot stand. So that is a beautiful thing. I was at the game last night, and as a huge baseball fan, I just couldn't be happier. And in other news with me, I am launching my first ever solo tour for my side project, River Oaks. 
it's not a big tour. I'm only playing five shows. They are Detroit, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, and New York. If you're in any of those cities, please check out riveroaksmusic.com for tickets. Um, I'm bringing out my friend Mark Rose, who used to be the frontman of Spittlefield, who we really should have on this podcast. I'm going to call Mark. We're going to get Mark on this podcast for sure. But that tour is happening. There are VIP tickets. There are regular tickets. So please check it out again. It's riveroaksmusic.com. And Silverstein is going back on tour this weekend. We're going out with Memphis Mayfire, The Devil Wears Prada, and Lake Moz to Flames. It is the Rise Up Tour because we're all on Rise Records. So it is going to be a good time. And uh, yeah, we're coming to pretty much all the major cities on the East Coast, a lot of cities in the South, and California and Texas. So check that out as well. To go over to SilversteinMusic.com. We got all the dates up there. And make sure you get tickets for that as well. Also, if you like the podcast and you want to support the show, we got bills to pay. We got to keep the lights on, so to speak. So if you want to help out, it's really easy. You don't have to do anything directly. We aren't taking any donations or anything at this time. If you buy anything online, anything online at all, and you use Amazon, just go to leadsingersyndrome.com slash Amazon. That will take you right to the Amazon homepage. Login is normal. And whenever you buy, we get 4 to 6%. It really helps out. Every little bit counts. So once again, that is leadsingersyndrome.com slash Amazon. Anyway, let's get into it. Here is my conversation with Joel Birch of The Amity Affliction. Will you miss me when I'm here with Joel Birch, the Amity Affliction in Toronto. I'm having a patio beer in a very hip mason jar that just says Coors on it, which yeah. kind of cancels out the, uh, yeah. the coolness. Well, hey, but maybe it's like a, a uh, low-key juxtaposition. Yeah, something the, like that. The good and the bad. I think the banquet thing they're doing with the gold cans are like is like their attempt at being cool, like a vintage thing. I don't think that would fly in the Silverstein camp. No, you know how we roll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're we're total beer snobs. Total beer snobs. But well, dude, um, it's just crazy. Like you guys are back. Another new record just came out. What a month ago? Two months yeah, ago, almost. Yeah, nearly two months. Ago. Um, how's it been back on tour uh, in North America? Uh, good. It's good. I mean, it's picking up. We've been coming here for like six years, and yeah, it's finally starting to pick up, which right. is nice. Um. But yeah, I mean, it's it's hard for me. It's the longest tour I've done away from my from my son, and um, yeah, been pretty difficult, pretty homesick. Yeah. Um, but I mean, as far as the shows go, it's been great, great success so far. And well, it's interesting you bring up the fact that you been coming here for six years, and now it's like just starting to pick up. And one thing that always struck me about you guys is like when we did that tour a few years ago with Bust the Fall. Yeah. You know, you guys were second of four. We were right, playing right after you. 
you guys have back-to-back number one records in Australia, yet yeah. you can still suck it up and go to America and tour in a van. Yeah. Well, you got to do it. And right. I think but, but a lot of bands would say, you know what? We're fucking rock stars in Australia. We're huge. We got two number one records in a row. Now, three number one records in a row. Yeah. A lot of bands would just be like, we don't need that. We don't need America. Why don't they get us? You know, why is this such a struggle over there? And you guys have actually been like, no, we have to put in the work. Yeah. Well, I mean, we were together for six years before, or as, as far as, you know, me being the singer, for six right. years before we started touring over here. <clears throat> and that's about the same time it took us to get our success or, you know, to start the wheels turning for success in Australia. So I feel like we're on a similar schedule over here. It's just that we, being being so far removed from North America, it's, it's like, financially very difficult to, to tour over here. Sure. Um, so we weren't making anywhere near enough money until, until then to actually afford flying to America and of course and spending months at a time over here well I didn't even bring up the financial thing I, I yeah. you know I was talking more just like of a straight up like ego perspective but financially well, absolutely I mean, it's yeah. far away I don't think ego has ever really played into our band um, yeah I think the the where ego would play into our band would be internally um, oh yeah you know what I mean, and not in a not in a egos versing each other, but we're very proud of what we've done, and we you know we keep that within our band. Like we're all very proud of our achievements and everything like that, but we don't feel like we need to gloat about it either. No, I, I get that. I mean, yeah. I've known you guys a very long time now. Yeah, it's funny. I remember our first tour. Um, <laughs> it was. What year was that? 2008, I want to say? Uh, 2009, and we played in, in the UK, I think. Oh, no. No, the tour Two, in Australia. Oh, 2008. Yeah, yeah when it was Set Your Goals. Yeah, Boys of Summer. And um, one thing that I thought was funny is, years later, you guys thought we didn't like you or something. Uh, yeah, that because was because we were... of uh, Bill. What was what's the story there? We um we because we were tight with JJ and you guys are tight with JJ yeah. obviously from prom queen days and we went up to I don't know what was going on we're in the UK we played the one off show in the UK and JJ had said oh go say hi to Bill for me and we were like hey JJ said hi and he was in a foul mood and just brushed us off and we were like oh all right. And then, so we went into the Australian tour, just like, oh, well, they don't like us, so fuck it. Oh, that's what it is. <laughs> yeah. Okay, no. Well, sorry. And Billy's like the most friendly guy ever. And yeah. I'm very and then, surprised. Yeah, and then we toured together years later, and he's just like, I don't know what you're talking about. And they're like... <laughs> <laughs> no, but the, the Australian tour was funny because you guys thought we were like a Christian band, and we were offended we with the things you were saying or something. Yeah. That, I don't know who told you that. Maybe that was Troy. Troy's... You could have you could have been told anything by him. It would have been a fantastic story, I'm sure. Well, I like fantastic stories. Uh, well, they're very fantastic, <laughs> and they change. It's great. They morph into different stories. <laughs> but I thought that that was, I thought that was cool. And you know, we had kind of had an introduction to each other back then, and you know, I've watched you guys grow. And I remember another thing that happened with you guys was, you guys played the Soundwave tour. I think it was 2009, maybe, but. At that time, you were one of the only Australian bands 
on it. Every other band was international. Yeah, Parkway did that first, so they did the Soundwave tour. That might... Yeah, so we didn't do Soundwave until... We must have done 2012. Oh, maybe it's 2011 then, because we were yeah. on the same year as you guys. Yeah, so. I don't know. 11 or 12. We must have done 11 and 13. Right. So was yeah. it, this was 11 then. So yeah. in 2011, you did Soundwave. Yeah. And at that time, was it a big deal that you guys got that being yeah. basically was, the only Australian band? Yeah, and it was weird because there was a lot of... Um, uh, I don't know how to... like everyone was really pissed off at AJ for not putting Australian bands on. Yeah. Um, and simultaneously crushing the touring industry in Australia. Yeah. So it's only just started to sort of pick back up with bands doing headline tours, but basically you had a hundred bands on this thing and there was no point in any North American band or any European band coming out on their own because they'd make so much more money coming out to Soundwave whether they got paid or not is a different story but the offer on the right. table <laughs> was much better than coming out and risking your own skin you know what I mean and, absolutely um, and so everyone was really pissed off and we got underpaid like a motherfucker on, on both Soundwave runs we did um, afterwards AJ kept saying you know because kids would be like why aren't you doing Soundwave and AJ would be like, oh, they're, they're part of the Soundwave family, you know, like they're always welcome back. And we're like, motherfucker, like, why would we do it for like less than the least paid US band, you right. know, like <laughs> that, that you're bringing out as a favor. Local discount, yeah. yeah right, you know course. what I mean? Yeah. And um, so there was that. And I think just, yeah, I mean, it was a huge deal and it was at the same time a bit upsetting right it's funny but it well, shows that shows the promoter attitude in Australia I think well Australia that was a really fucking weird time um, and, and you know we came over in Australia quite early in our career like we came in in 2005 yeah with Destroy All Lines brought us over yeah, and yeah I remember we came, I remember that tour yeah like, with yeah. Behind Cruise and Eyes was yeah, it yeah yeah, yeah. yeah yeah our first show ever in Australia was in Brisbane yeah so at the Rev, I believe. Yeah. Were you there at the yeah, show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crazy. Yeah. That rules. But but anyways, we came over and like right away we like we're like, this is the best, this country rules, people are cool here, people understand hardcore and, like Canadians. and what we're trying to do. Like Canadians, maybe. Yeah, it's very similar, I feel. Small countries, but big yeah. countries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huge <laughs> landmass. That's right. <laughs> Small population. Yeah. But um so we we kind of made it a habit of trying to come back to Australia as much as we could, you know, at least every two years. Yeah. And then we did the Soundwave. We did it once. It was great. And we're like, okay, so we got to play like a 30-minute set. There's a shitload of people watching us. We want to come back and do like our own tour. Yeah. So that our fans that we made can come see us. So we say to AJ, hey, man, um, can we come back and do our own tour? Oh, not interested in, in bringing you guys back like on your own. Yeah. Okay. Uh, he's like, just do um, sound. We'll just do have you on Soundwave again. So we're like, well... All right. Okay. So it's 2011. We do Soundwave. It's great again. Yeah. 30 minute set. And then after that, we say, say the same thing. And he's like, no, I'm not interested in bringing you back. And we say, okay, well, is there another promoter 
that <laughs> would, do our, would do our tour. Yeah. And he goes, fuck you guys. Fuck you assholes. Like, yeah, like yeah, well, yeah. what are we supposed to do? Just wait for you every two years and play a 30-minute set? Yeah. In a country that we love being in, we have actually have fans? And you've been going there for six years or five years previously. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So he took ownership of the whole fucking scene. It was very Exactly. And, yeah. and now I don't, I don't know what he's doing or... Uh, he... So Soundwave was just the last in a line of, um, like, musical promotion failures for him, I guess. Okay. Booming success, followed by, I guess, a lot of coke, and then, you know, like, failure as an enterprise. Um, (laughs) I don't know what he's doing now. He, He still sort of tweets from time to time, but, um... Well, I mean, they had that list released of all those bands that were owed. He hasn't paid, Like, insane amounts of money. Millions, millions millions of dollars. dollars, Yeah, Yeah, I think millions of dollars total, but I really don't know what he's doing. I wouldn't be surprised if he comes back and does it again. It seems to be the way for for music is that the whole music scene will happily get fucked over and then go back to the same people, you know? It's it's a weird place we live in. It is, yeah. It's a weird world. Yeah. Um, You guys... um, have you guys done an Australian tour? We'll wait for that motorcycle. Have you guys done an Australia tour yet on this new record? Uh, we have, but it was like a smaller, like an underplay tour. Yep. So it was, in all honesty, a tour just to do the, the album tour first in Australia um, for the Australian people. Yep. Um, otherwise, there wouldn't have been a tour for like a year after the CD came out or album. I don't even know what you call it anymore. You call it a record? You call it... Well, yeah, what is it? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's going back to vinyl, but it's digital. Do you say my, my new Spotify album came out? I, think, I, I know, right? <laughs> my new Apple Music album came out. <laughs> my new fucking title album came out. <laughs> CD, album, record, whatever. I get. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I like that The everything's coming full cycle and people are buying vinyl again. And it's like when tapes came out, they were like, oh, vinyl's dead. And then yep. CDs came out and they're like, oh, cassettes are dead and... Now it's like CDs are dead. It's like nothing yep. ever Tapes dies. Tapes are back too. Tapes are back, Tapes which is suck, ridiculous. Man. Yeah, they sound like shit. I don't. I just do not understand it. They sound like shit. They wear out. And like part of why vinyl's cool is because you get a huge version of the artwork too. Yeah. From it, like you know, you just pull out your iPad Pro, like you're an artist. Yeah, um, I love it. That's the best. It's yeah, and it's tactile. You get to hold it. You get. Yeah. I like. It's like a ritual, you know. Like you take it out, you put it on, you look at the artwork, read the lyrics while you're listening to it. You have to flip it over. Like I like that whole. Yeah. It is like a full-on musical ritual, you know. When you guys write albums, do you think about side A and side B, even though you know for the most part. People aren't, um... uh, I don't think we have until this one. Yeah. So this one was like um, all fucked up plays and it's a good time on the album to flip it, you know, because right. then it's like starting afresh on the other side. So this would be the first time that we've thought about it. Yeah, we've actually always done that. We've yeah. always thought about a, a record in two halves, like yeah. like almost like two EPs almost. That's way more relaxing, I feel. Like that's less stressful. Yo, yeah. As far as picking songs goes, because yeah. you just pick the first half and then the second half. That's yeah, nice. That's, that's what we always done. But it's it is interesting now. I'm sure a lot of bands will uh, will start to think that way yeah. about you know, when where maybe they haven't because you know it's been a CD world and yeah. Now it's not a CD world at all. No, and now you know I think now you're lucky if the 
listener if they didn't buy the vinyl if they make it to the last track to be honest you know what I mean like you put something on in your car you drive 10 minutes down the road you get back in the car you feel like something else dude I'm so guilty of that over and over and over even myself so am I and um you know I think haven't they reduced the number of songs it takes to be classified as an album down to 8 or something or is it 6 it's something stupid oh serious I didn't know that was even a classification yeah so because I know I I bought a um a record by Vic Mensa this rapper and he his album's eight songs and I was like what the fuck like eight songs are you serious but then I was like well if it was you know like old rap CDs were like 18 19 tracks with 10 tracks of bullshit you know exactly it's true (laughs) like the old Wu-Tang albums you're like oh my god there's 30 tracks on this thing (laughs) but it's like an hour of Shinfo (laughs) <laughs> yeah. yeah well I don't know I kind of like that about that like old school hip hop yeah. I liked all the bullshit tracks so like, many interludes the alcoholics and like bands like yeah, that I, like, yeah, I love yeah. that kind of that era <laughs> of rap man um, but back to Australia like obviously I mentioned and I'm sure most people will know this but you guys are obviously have a very very successful band in Australia this is your third number one album in a row which is fucked yeah I think there's only Five Australian bands or something that have ever, ever done, done that. that, and then ten acts that have ever done that or something in Australia. Has anyone ever done four? four in a row? Uh, I'm not sure. I've I mean, got no crazy. idea. Uh, it's just that kind of success is so nuts, and like, you know, you must kind of feel like you have the country like in the palm of your hand. Um, no, but is it? No, no. You don't no. feel like that. No, Australia is so apathetic. So shit can just turn on a dime, um, which is a funny saying to use when talking about Australia, but it's true. It's like... But it hasn't for three albums. It know? hasn't, and and I like I don't know what it is. Like, I hope that we've, we've reached a point where um, we can retain the size that we're at, obviously. Um, obviously, that's what every musician hopes for. But I think, as well, we already have in the back of our mind that the next album's got to be the changing album right. for us. Um, like the mature... This was... I feel like this album that we just put out is like the mature finale to the sound that we've had thus far. And then the next one is where we need to sort of... Yeah, I read, I read that you said... What did you say? Something? You basically said this is going to be the last album kind of talking about your depression and your anxiety and you're going to go more into like a conceptual based Yeah, well, theme. I'm, I'm hoping to, yeah. I mean, I've been... Because I, I think a lot of that... I mean, it's not completely tied to my alcoholism, but a lot of that would be tied to being an alcoholic and even though I'm dealing with depression still and still on medication and still have the effects of depression daily it's far more manageable than when I was drinking every day right which is a standard you know that's a given because <laughs> sure. if you're hungover you're at a very vulnerable state and I was either hungover or wasted so um, I don't know that it'll ever completely disappear from the the content of our music and the subject matter but I think there'll be a, a metamorphosis into some sort of other um, delivery. So you're completely sober now? Yeah. For how long? 
seven months, I think. Nearly seven months. Seven months tomorrow. Good for you. Yeah, you feel... How, how difficult was that initially? Uh, it wasn't difficult at all because I was in a situation where it was either give up drinking or lose my family. So... <laughs> As I think, as is the case with most alcoholics that actually make a change, everything was falling to pieces. Um, you know, including including my maybe not my position in the band, but my standing in the band as a as a person was starting to take a dive as you well. Mean the relationship with your other band members. Yeah, and um, <clears throat> I couldn't see that at the time, but. I think almost immediately when I stopped drinking and started to reflect on everything, it was very clear that I was really, really on the decline, um, you know, as a human being, just in my relationships. My, my relationships with my friends, my band, my wife, my children, like everything was taking a hit, all for, you know, quote-unquote the party, Right, and I think it had it had really ceased to be a party by this time. Um, so yeah, I, you know, that had a lot to do with my mental state in writing lyrics. Um, but I've always been a fan of the sadder side of music, so I <laughs> you know I can't I can't see from when I was very young, so I can't see that being something that I'm ever removed from you know well I mean other than just sorry go ahead oh no I was just gonna say it's not like we were gonna write a fucking Bee Gees album you know like right of course <laughs> right um, there's also like a certain mechanism though like you've written what five records with just this band not to mention yeah. everything else you've written or worked on and you've always had this sort of underlying theme that when you sit down with a with a pen and a paper you're gonna write a certain style yeah. And I don't think that that's just something that you you can just lose no. whether you want to or not. Yeah, no, not at all. Um, and I haven't changed what I've written about ever. So since joining bands, I've written about the same thing because that's I I feel that if you're writing songs, you need to be writing about what you feel. Either, either that or you need to be specifically writing about what you believe in. And if not that, then you need to be writing as a performance piece. Right. So someone like um, Nick Cave, for instance, is more a performance and uh, observatory music. Do you know what I mean? Like he's making observations on the world and writing about them. Yes. And that's his style. And then you've got, you know, like even, and I hate to say it, Limp Bizkit. <laughs> yeah, that's like a theatre piece, you know what I mean? Like they're, sure. what, they're they're like a performance-based band, and you know, you each band has to find what they're about, and then right, and then you follow that. And right, you think of like comedy acts and stuff like that's you know. Yeah, it's it's sure. all subjective. So sure. um, there's that, and I don't think I could just up and change the way I write, but I want to change the way it's delivered. Sure. Well. I mean that's a that's a challenge. That'll be a yeah. challenge for you, and and you know, I mean, it'll probably be something you have to work harder on. But absolutely, at the same time, like you say, you went from drinking every day, you know, basically either being wasted or hungover. Do you have more time on your hands? Are you feeling so like you're more, more productive? Time. Yeah, yeah, so much more time. My um, I had my father over recently, and he's been sober for twelve years, so he was an alcoholic as well, and um, he he also 
commented on time. He's like, "What now? What do you do with all your time?" He's yeah. like, "You've got so much time now." And I was like, "You really do. Like, you wake up and you're like, wow, there's where there used to be, you know, a few hours until you'd start drinking. Now there's 12 hours of, you know, like, what do I do with this time?" So. Um, I've been drawing a lot more. I've been painting a lot more. Um, so I've been significantly more productive. And where previously I may have only written lyrics leading up to the recording, I've been writing lyrics or, or writing poetry outside of it. Right. So it will. You're right. It will be a. It will be a challenge. And I think that. A lot, a big part of the challenge will be getting it to Aaron and convincing him to, right, like go with the change as well because there is a tendency with with bands to get formulaic, and once you've got yeah. a winning formula, to not change it. So, I think the next album is the right one to do it because Dan and Aaron are thinking that we need to do that musically, as I am and Ryan. Um, and so I think that's a good time to make the lyrical leap to the next phase as well. It's interesting you, know, you bring up the winning formula. And, and I don't want to say your band has a formula, but we have if you formula. had to describe it, it'd be like <laughs> verse, Joel, it's screaming, a, it's, I think course it's like, kicks in, yeah. are all pretty. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. That's, I, there is a formula to that. So yeah. are you I scared think, that if you break that mold, you're just going to alienate your fan base and people are going to be pissed? Or do you think there's a way to do it? There's a tasteful way to do everything, yeah. I feel. Like, we're not going to put out a dance record, for instance. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that's, a, you know, that's an, extreme, um, an extreme thing to say, but that's how people view it when a band changes their sound. They're like, what is this bullshit? Like, you know, like, what yeah. are you doing? Unless it's gradual. So we can't, we can't make a leap on the next record. Um, for 11 tracks right we can do it for two you know what I mean and then let the others be more gradual but we we certainly can't come out with 11 new songs that are like that are like I mean we can very few bands have been able to pull that off I mean we can do that but it would be at our own peril you know like <laughs> <laughs> well you're very self aware Joel I uh, yeah I, I appreciate that and I appreciate the honesty you know cause a lot of bands would sit here and bullshit and say, no, man, we just were passionate about our new sound. And then you're like, well, you definitely were a little more calculated than that. Yeah, you know, well, I mean, when, you when can, bands change. Yeah, like we're, we're ready to change. We're getting older, you know. Iron, Iron's just hit 30. So I've been... I've, I never thought that when you... Like, being in a band, you tend to age less so mentally I feel than people in the real world do you think do you think so because I have two takes on it but I, I'll let you finish I think I th- alright in one sense yes in one sense no yeah in one sense you become far more cultured because yes. you're well traveled so yes. you get I think you gather a more mature understanding of how the world works being in a band like but life I, experience yeah life sure. experience but I also think that some of the milestones that your peers may reach earlier than you in maturing and for some things that is going to reflect musically I feel so 
Aaron's just hit 30, I'm 34. I've reached the stage where I've been ready for our music to change maybe a little while ago. Right. Um, but in a different direction to Aaron, and I think we've he's at the stage now where our ideas are starting to merge a little, and I think that's got something to do with age. I'm not sure what the correlation would be, but it's it's like there's something about him getting older and our ideas lining up more where they lined up perfectly when we were younger. So I think there's a gap because we're four years apart. Yeah. So I think that's at some point that came into play in our taste in music and stuff like that. He's starting to like a lot of the stuff. I started to like when I was 30 a lot of the softer more um, ballad driven pop music like the National and stuff like that yeah however he's had a more mature taste in so far as listening to to old folk music and stuff than I have so it's really hard to to sort of articulate what I'm getting at but I've noticed a change in him that I only noticed in myself when I hit 30. So I think the next record will be a reflection of that. Yeah. Well, you did a little bit of different vocal style on a couple songs on this record, right? There's yeah. a little bit of clean singing that you did for the first time. Yeah. Um, Not clean, just well, different. Different. Yeah. <laughs> um, is that something that you think could take a new role in the band moving Absolutely. forward? Absolutely. And, you know, I am, like I said, I'm 34. I'm getting a little bit sick of the same thing. So, um, not sick of music at all, not sick of playing live at all, but sick of just screaming. Like it's time to, you know, like any art form, there is a time where you need to branch out a little bit. Um, you know, even no, no fine artist will paint the same picture for 20 years. You know yeah, what I, mean? I get that. Totally yeah. get that analogy. Yeah. And it is an analogy because I don't think what we're producing is fine art at all. <laughs> but <laughs> it may be popular in a, in a niche, but it, it, it will remain a niche for quite a few years to come, I believe. But yeah, I, yeah, just, I think it's time for some maturing and, and for our music to reflect our age. And You guys have so much mainstream success. <laughs> But yet you guys still have, like, all your singles and stuff still have screaming. It's still, like, relatively radio inaccessible from a traditional standpoint. Do you guys have a lot of radio play in Australia? Yeah, I mean, on Triple J, for sure. Yeah. Um, but they've always been one to buck the, you know... The, until recently, I'll say they've always been one to buck the trend. But the, the EDM movement... Yeah has just put dance music on every fucking radio station in the world from what I can understand um, you know you used to but I mean maybe that's the old jaded part of me speaking because back when I was younger turning on Triple J would mean Sonic Youth and Nirvana and, and right. all, all these great bands but I guess that was the counterculture revolution of the time and I guess yeah. ED- EDM is it didn't come from popular culture. I guess so. I suppose. I don't know. Yeah, I guess so. I don't like it <laughs> at all, but... Um, no, I'm not... I don't really know much about it. I don't know honest. anything I kinda about it. I kind of just ignore yeah. it. I so. watched the Steve Aoki documentary and was still confused about how it even happened, but... Yeah. 
but that guy's the man. I'll say I will say that I, I had no you know I had no feeling either way about him but he's the man but anyway I'm getting off topic um, yes we we make music that you can't play on regular radio we just got our first song on commercial radio back home um, what song is that all fucked up <laughs> but they but they that's the title dude yeah but we did a the first uh, we did a radio, radio song but yeah, we but still, how do they say the title on the air? All, all, mess, messed all messed up. All messed up. Yeah, and we sang messed up specifically because we we're like, this could be the song that crosses over kind of thing. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When you, I mean, coming from, all right, we're all in our 30s here. Yeah. Okay, we're adults. Yeah. We're realists. Exactly. And this is our job, and this is why we make money. We're not stupid, but coming from, like, the hardcore punk days... Did it's you feel like a sellout? Morally conflicted, yes. But I mean, I so I was discussing this with someone recently, and I was saying, what is more punk or more hardcore than than sticking to what we've done for the longest period of time through the up and down of of the screamo era? Yeah, sure. We haven't changed markedly. You know, we've we've perfected our sound we've always said fuck you to our labels no matter who the label was we've done whatever we've wanted to do we've done it our way so i've i felt morally conflicted changing one word from fucked to messed but it's also the only way that it would be possible to reach and the next level of success and and i don't think success is selling out if you if you're not if you're not sacrificing your message, then I don't believe that you're selling out. Right. And we've never sacrificed our message or our um, integrity, I feel. I agree with you. Yeah. And we've never done radio edits where we've right. cut out any substance from the song. We've turned down radio edits that have cut out meaningful parts of our songs. Yeah. So we've shunned enough, I feel, to to make it okay for us on your own terms on our own terms yeah no I totally get that uh, that's it's just that's one of those things like I, I've I've always heard radio edits you know and when they don't just bleep it like any any whether it's you know even the most mainstream stuff and when you hear a line that's clearly saying it's like they had the foresight in the studio yeah. to re-sing that line yeah. in a different way like you know the artist was on board I think at, at this point in our career, and it is a career now, it, yeah. it would be stupid to not be thinking of these things. Um, sure. I think it would be 
like irresponsible of us of our own <laughs> longevity. Well, you got a family to, to yeah. support, and yeah. the other thing too that that we haven't talked about yet is just the size of Australia. It's fucking small. Mm-hmm. You're talking about five major cities. I mean, arguably five major cities. I'd say four major cities. Right. Maybe and even three, because, I mean, Adelaide is not big. For us to play to 10,000 in Brisbane and then 2,000 in Adelaide and consider that a very big success, yeah, is that says something about the size of the city. And sure. I, I'm not sure if it's still this way, but five years ago, I know it was, it was the only city in Australia in decline. Wow. Yeah. Everyone's leaving. Well, they got no fucking power down there. What do you want? They're eight hours from <laughs> Melbourne. Like <laughs> Melbourne's the best. Yeah. The best. Yeah, but, um, and I just lost track of where I was saying, but. Um, the size of the country. The si- yeah, the size yeah. of the country. And, and that must factor in because you guys just can't do that many tours. No. Like, you do a U.S. tour, like, if a band does two U.S. tours a year, that's like. That's an A market and a B market run. An A market and a B market run. They could probably do that twice every year, and that's yeah. taking up a good six months or, or more um, yeah. of the year. And and so we, if you have I success in America, you have lots of places to play, which is lots of work. But in Australia, you're, you guys are probably lucky if you can do 10 to 12 shows a year. We would never do that many. Not in not in capital cities. I mean, like like with festivals and supporting. And if we do a festival, we don't do a tour that year. Wow. Yeah, it's too small. It's too much. So we toured. A lot of people over here, you know, in North America, won't know how much we toured before success. So we toured for eight or nine months a year in Australia. Which is, you've been there, you know that's fucking crazy. So we were doing support after support. We'd go support, regional tour, support, regional tour, support, regional tour. And we'd do that as much as we could. Um, Until we sold out a thousand cat venues, we did hi-fis and stuff, which is what you guys do, I think, down there. Yeah, I think so. And um, when we hit that point, we were like, all right, we've got to stop. Because you can thrash Australia to death. Yes. (laughs) You can actually burn out your band, and um, <clears throat> a lot of bands have done that. And it's you know, I think that's where the that's where the unwillingness to go overseas can shorten your career. Is so it you, unwillingness from bands though, or is it is it more so inability? Both. Sometimes it's both. Sometimes it's one. Sometimes it's the other. Some bands don't want to. Yeah, some peep, some people, and it's you know, it, if there's one member of a band that really doesn't want to leave home, sure, then that's that's that, you know. Do you guys had aspirations to do that though, as a band early on to we've never to, to go to America, to go to Europe. Um, Let's give it a second. Yeah, that's the Amity Affliction tour bus pulling away. Oh, straight out of Texas. There you go. Fuck the Texas Rangers. Anyways, where were we? Um, no, um, our our aspirations as far as touring goes have always been in the immediate future. So we didn't really think about touring outside of Australia until we had to. Really? Yeah. We you know we don't we didn't think past a certain point. It's like let's just climb this, you know, one stair at a time kind of thing. 
so there is a top I guess but we've never looked at it it's like what's the next thing we do so step by step and you realize how far you've come over a long period of time yeah so it was like all right, you've done this now you need to go overseas or you need to keep working regular jobs and tour once a year right and it was like well that's a no brainer and (laughs) so we went we went to the UK first and that was in 2009 and then for some reason I'd said when we made the decision to go overseas I said let's do Europe and the UK more than the US I was like the US is harder to break Mm -hmm. um and so we did the exact opposite, of course, and started going to the U.S. more. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was just speaking with, my, with our, one of our managers the other day, and he said, he goes, I, he goes, I don't know why we did this this way. And I was like, I beg your pardon? I was like, what? What, mate? Like, <laughs> you don't know why we didn't do Europe and the U.K. first? Like, you motherfucker. I said that like <laughs> six years ago. So um, I'm glad we did it this way because... I feel if we did it the other way, we may have never broken America, and America's a nice place to tour. Um, yeah. Once you get to where we're at now, it's nice, you know. Sure, when you have it a bus and everything, because that's another thing people don't people don't know is that in Australia you don't have buses. No. In Australia, you have to basically fly, you're in a van. and you're in a you van. Fly, or you're in a van. Yeah. yeah. Which which is really weird, but it's just I guess there's a lot like seatbelt laws or. Or whatever. Um, You're not allowed to sleep in a moving vehicle. Okay. There you go. But um, do you guys, is it weird for you guys having, again, so much success in Australia? You're putting on these massive shows, like you said, 10,000 in Brisbane. And then you come over here and you're playing sometimes. 200. Like a, yeah, like a yeah. 250 cap room. Like there's no lights. There's no production at all. Is it change like you have to adapt to your show and what you do as a front man? Yeah. Um but if we didn't come from the hardcore scene, it would be a lot tougher. Yeah. Um, but we did. So, it you know, it, it is what it is. And those shows are fun. So, I mean, there's a part of me that likes both sides of the coin. And so, the variation probably keeps it interesting. Yeah. It's, you know, and it keeps you grounded as well. And, Definitely. you know, you've got to have humility in any field. And it's oh, definitely a way to keep you in check, you know. Well, I think that's the first question I asked you was was when you guys are coming over here, playing to ten thousand people in Australia, and then you're in a van. Yeah. Uh, you know, playing two or four. I don't. Uh, yeah, I don't really give a fuck to no, be honest. I mean, it's, it is what it is, you know. But I mean, you talked about also you talked about integrity, and that's another thing. Like, you know, I've known you for a long time, and you're not scared to call people out on their shit. No. You're not scared of anybody, and nope. you are not scared to ruffle feathers and you're not going to kiss anyone's ass no and I have a lot of respect for you on that on that accord but have there been bridges you burned or has it really not mattered to you because uh, you are you are somewhat calculated in like worrying about success and thinking about success so that side of you is almost a little bit of the opposite in that you'll just fucking call out Maddie Mullins or whoever <laughs> you know like you don't care no, I don't care, and I I really don't. And um, so I I did that, and I went straight to production of Warped afterwards, and I said, "Look, I've said my piece. I won't say anything more about it, but I had to say it." And they were like, "Okay." They were like, "All right, well, thanks for." You. Obviously, they heard about it before we even got off stage. Okay. Um, 
And they were like, all so right, what, well, what exactly thanks. did you say? That's what I, what I said. You oh, said, t- about Matty Mullins? Yeah. I don't know. I, people, <laughs> people, he was, he was making really sexist comments and about what women were wearing. Um, I think, you know, there were, it's fucking summer, man. Like, it's hot. Like, dudes are getting around in, in, you know, like what's considered funny outfits with a hat and just the shorter shorts they can wear mm-hmm. and it, and flip-flops and people are like, oh, that's funny. But if right. a chick wears the same thing, it's like, oh, she's a slut. And it's like, maybe she's fucking hot, dude. It's summer. Like, go fuck yourself. And he... I, it was just a series of unfortunate events for him, I think, because <laughs> I just heard their song Jezebel the day before, which is basically slut shaming. Um, and then he made some disparaging comments about, you know, girls coming onto him and what they were wearing. And I was just like, why is the responsibility and the onus on the female right. to dress a certain way and act a certain way like it's it takes two to tango like go fuck yourself basically anyway it just pissed me off I don't I don't like that you know and and I think as well I was already pissed off because there'd been a a racist incident at one of our signings and I was just in the mood you know a racist incident with Chad yeah with Chad Really? Um, yeah. That's so fucked up. Yeah. So, it you know it was an Australian guy, and I don't think he was thinking, and I don't, I really don't believe this guy was inherently racist, but he made a very distasteful joke that we didn't hear. Oh. And Chad went straight into a really dark mood, and we were like, we didn't know what happened, and we got back oh, to the bus. Oh, I remember what this is. I won't name the guy, yeah. but I remember what yeah. happened. Yeah. And he, um, yeah. so he told us what happened, and I was furious. So I was just like, this is just really, really inappropriate and not funny at all. And and so this this all happened leading up to us playing. So it was just a big storm of yeah. shit brewing. And, and I think right before we played, someone had said, oh, did you hear this? And I was like, just saw red, you know. I was, yeah. I was like, I've had enough of this shit. And... Um, yeah, so I said what I said, and you know, last warp tour, I, I approached Matt and I said, you know, there's there's no beef here, right? I don't, you know, well, I, mean, I, don't, I don't. We're going on tour with Memphis May Fire in a week, so, and I call, I, I mean, talking about Matty Mullins, which is a funny guy to bring up all of a sudden out of nowhere, but, um, you know, on warp tour, he said that thing about being the voice of a generation. Do you remember that? And yeah. I, I called him out on that, you know, and I said like that I thought that that was. He's just said you know, so much dumb shit. Like this think, is just. I think a, he, for him, no, it's more of a. I do think at his core, Maddie's a good guy. I don't think he's a bad guy at all, and I think sometimes he's trying to be inspirational, and I think maybe sometimes he doesn't think it all the way through. But he has apologized for that, and I've talked to him since, and I think, and I think he understands. Whatever. Sure, Alvaro. Um. Yeah, is it? Is it? Um, sorry, I just ordered another beer in front of a recovering alcoholic. Which I don't care. Is not cool. I, I encouraged the beer earlier, if you remember. You you did. Yeah. Is it hard to be around people drinking and nah. like the whole party thing now? No. Nah. Because I, I was talking to Fat Mike 
from No Effects, and he was saying that that was the hardest part for him. Like after a show, you have a great show, and people are kind of like celebrating, and you just feel like you're not. Yeah, He's but all the thing I realized is that I was celebrating, celebrating, celebrating. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like celebrating another day of the week. So right, for you know, it's it's for me, it's. Uh, um, I think I'm I'm a lot like my dad in many areas, and this is probably just one more to add to the list. Is that he said, once you once he's made up his mind, that's it. So this is what I do now, and that's what I do. And now I don't drink, and that's just what I do. So you know, I'm not even at 12 months yet, but I feel like I've already made the switch mentally from good from drinking to not drinking and accepting that um I was a piece of shit on the booze like not everyone is a piece of shit when they drink you know and I think it brought out the uh, malicious side of me and right. I'm glad to let that let that go you know you guys in your band have been supportive yeah it's great yeah um, so with all this time you have on your hands now are you know you mentioned you're doing a lot of painting and art is that something you're going to try to do more of or try to have a second you know like thing on the side I know you already um, kind of do. I already do, yeah. Yeah, but is, I guess you can expand that a little more. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't know. I, I do everything in equal measure. I feel creatively, so I don't know. I think that's how I've managed to not get sick of any of it As by doing so much. You know, jack of all, master of none, and whatnot. <laughs> the new record, this could be heartbreak, is out now. Um, you worked with Will Putney again. How was that experience, and how was it for you vocally doing your thing? Uh, I was drunk most of the time, so you were. I don't remember a lot of it. Um, really? Actually don't remember? Actually don't remember yet. But what I do remember, it was just normal. It's recording. You know, it's stressful. It's, But it is what it is. So when you're, like, when you're, you say you're drunk, that's crazy. Like, so what, you just go in the, in the vocal booth, and you've got some lyrics that you've written down? And you're just screaming them, and then you just—they're just like, do it again, do it again, and you're just kind of doing what they say, and you're just sort of. No, or when, when really I when I record, I definitely get in into the into the moment of what I wrote. So, you know, it's not hard for me to revisit my lyrics when I when I'm um, performing them on a record. So you'd say in the studio it's it's like emotional for you then yeah. when you're when you're yeah. really pouring yourself into these songs. Yeah. That's I have, I don't hear that a lot, mm. you know, because I think a lot of bands they get caught up in we're in the studio we're paying this much money we got to get the perfect take is this song good is this in time, you know whatever and they don't actually think about the whole point which is expression and art. Yeah. Um, so were you were you drunk because you needed to deal with that, or was it just you were just drunk? Maybe drunk. drunk anyways. I was just drunk anyways. I think, to be honest, <laughs> I mean, I was drinking like a carton of beer and a bottle of wine, and, you know, and waking up and then having a beer before going there, and you know, getting an Uber via the bottle shop every day, and rocking up with a carton of beer every day. Yeah, and. Like, were the other guys in your band drinking, too? Did they... They were having, like, a beer. Right. Did they realize the extent of your drinking and it was a problem for you? 
Did you ever talk to him about it? I, you know, I mean, probably, but it's been a problem for so many years that what's the difference, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, I think for sure it's been a problem in the past, and I've nearly drunk myself to death, you know, a couple of times. And well, yeah, I mean, worked through that. Yeah, scary. And so, you know, it's an obvious problem, but I, it took a, a cataclysmic life fuck up to, you know, to make a change. Right. Um, and in hindsight, you know, it's like what kind of idiot nearly dies from drinking and then drinks again? An alcoholic does that so yeah yeah. and uh, you know repeatedly (laughs) right um i think alcoholics all over the world have probably nearly died gotten back up and had a drink the next day you know so well the most fucked up thing i'm hearing about someone told me a story the other day of like um you know heroin is obviously a big problem in america right now and they have I, i don't remember the name of it but there's some thing they give like a person that ods Ah, uh, yeah, the, the adrenaline. It's not adrenaline, but I know what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, and I guess, like, somebody somebody, somebody was dead. They picked up the heroin addict that had OD'd, and they had already OD'd the same day. They had already picked them up and given them the... And yeah, then they went yeah, out, and yeah. then they died later that day. Yeah, that's... Uh, and that's, that's, I think that's, that's in, a, in a documentary. Oh, is it? Yeah. Yeah, that's... I mean, you talk about how crazy addiction, addiction can be. Addiction, yeah. Um, and I, I have a, a healthy distaste for the, the straight-edge rhetoric that's like when an addict dies, they're like, fucking junkie scum, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, you don't understand the addiction. Or you do understand it and you've lost compassion for the person because you've managed to overcome your addiction. So... I don't know that it's off topic, but that upsets me. That happened when Amy Winehouse died, and and right. there were some very vocal people, and I was just like, you don't know anything about the inner workings of this human being. Like, this is a person that's just passed away. I mean, have you have you heard about all the stuff going on in the Philippines? Yeah, I mean, they're killing them. They're killing them. Level, dude. Yeah. That I I mean I, wow. If that anybody guy, listening to this doesn't know what's going on in the Philippines, they need to get on the Google and. And that com- is yeah. fucked up. And, and it's not being talked about over here. He's comparing himself to Hitler. I, I read a lot about it in Australia when I was over there because it's yeah. you know closer. But yeah, over here, not hearing as much about it. And it's, yeah. it's fuck crazy. Yeah, that dude's comparing himself to Hitler. Like, in a good way. What? Yeah. <laughs> My God. That's worse than I thought. Yeah. Um, uh, there was something else I wanted to say before we wrapped it up, but... Um, Ah, fuck it, um, dude. Thank you <laughs> for right. doing this and uh, no taking problem. the time. Um, have a great show tonight, the Opera House in Toronto, which is my favorite venue of all time. I've literally saw like all my favorite bands growing yeah. up here. So I'm stoked to be here just because of uh, Alexis on Fire and hearing about it. Yeah, you know, it's, just it's, from watching them. So it's a legendary place, man. Yeah. Well, thanks, Joel. No worries, man. Thank you. So there it is, my conversation with Joel from the Amity Affliction. It was so great to have him on, and I am so happy for him that he was able to quit drinking seven months sober now. He has a beautiful family, and it's great to see the band doing so well in America. Their show in Toronto sounded awesome. I got to check it out, so they're on tour right now. If they're coming through your town, make sure you check them out. They're a great, great band. Next week is a big, big episode I talked to my favorite lead singer of all time. 
Yes, I do. So make sure you're subscribed to this podcast. If you don't know how to subscribe, I don't know, Google it. Figure out how to subscribe to this podcast. It will help us out, and that way you won't miss any more episodes. So thank you so much again for listening. I hope you have a great week. Before I let you go, I'm going to play a song by the Amity Affliction, just like we do every week. Here is one of their hit singles, Open Letter. I'm Lee Singer Singer. We'll see you next week. This is my